Let's continue worship with a reading from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 32. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you, as you walk? And while they stood still looking sad, then one of them said, Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen even a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interrupted or he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church. If you are in middle school, you can go to your classroom now. And feel free to greet each other as you sit. Morning, team. How are we doing? Uh, Super well-made video, I thought. Uh, I'm glad you're here today. I'm Chris, um, the teaching pastor here at Riverstone. Let me just give an update on... um, If you're new with us, we are in a conversation about doubt. Doubt. That's right. Doubt. We're talking about doubt at church. Uh, doubt and faith. And a lot's been said, and I can't catch you up fully if you're just now joining us. But what we've, eventually, what, what we've essentially said um, is we've been wrestling through questions like, what is doubt and what is faith as we walk with the disciples through the time in between? <clears throat> Sorry, I was yelling yesterday at field day, so good luck. Here we go. <clears throat> the time in between. What's the time in between? Well, that's the time um, in between when Jesus died in those three days before he revealed himself as alive again to his disciples, for the disciples, this was easily the most catastrophic faith crisis they have ever had. As far as they knew it, it was all over. All their hopes were nailed to the cross with Jesus and still in the tomb, right? Hope had died. The dream was over. They had been deeply, deeply let down. Okay, 
That's the time in between. We tracking? Okay, so we call that, in our life, we call that things like a season of disillusioning, right? A season of depression. We call that things like, that was my cynical phase. In Christianese, we call it things like trials and tribulations, right? Having doubts, maybe backsliding, maybe the dark night of the soul, whatever you call it, it's a season where you look around. Hello, are we with me? Are you with me? Okay, good, just want to make sure. I thought you, some of you were drifting off right there. It's a season where you look around and nothing looks like you thought it would. Your marriage doesn't look like you thought it would. Your walk with God doesn't look right. Nothing looks right. Anyone. Okay, am I the only one that goes through seasons in my Christian life where I look around and God seems to have vacated the premises? He's like nowhere. Like I try to pray and my prayers just dribble off my chin. No one can relate to that here. I know you're all Christians, right? The Bible's always alive to you. You're just worshiping Jesus all the time. Oh, no. oh is that not the case? No, no, no. Look, I'm talking about where we live. In a way of speaking, the time in between is our entire life. It's waiting for God to come through on his promises. It's waiting for the Holy Spirit to fill you and give you a new kind of life. Y'all, the time in between will happen in your life. I heard a, co a college uh, pastor say, man, I feel like my whole job is just getting people ready to suffer. I just want you to be ready when, when it happens as a Christian. And so we have all sorts of weird expectations as, a, what, as, as to what it means to be a Christian. And we're talking about when those expectations don't go the way we wanted it to go. When our friends flake on us. When our pastor lets us down, idiot. <laughs> right? When the church we went to is not going in the direction we thought it was going in, right? All of a sudden they start inviting the Holy Spirit. Who knows what's going to happen, right? So, <laughs> sorry. Um, so today... We're going to explore the details of why exactly the disciples were so disappointed. Um, the religious leaders had teamed up with the um, Romans, and they had violently murdered the leader of the group, Jesus. Okay, we know that part. But if you grew up in church, uh, we don't often think about it like that. We think, well, of course Jesus died. That's exactly what was supposed to happen, right? He was supposed to die for the sins of the world. That was the plan all along. Why are the disciples so despondent? I like the part when it says they stood still and looked downcast. Right? <laughs> we were just read earlier, right? Like some, from this perspective, we say, dude, Jesus just won. He just did the thing, not to them. No, Jesus just failed. He died and the movement is over. The Romans won. That's who won in their minds. That's why they're despondent. The more you read the gospels, the more you realize they had very different expectations. So let's read. And as we do, we're gonna see that hope or despair, okay? Faith or doubts, belief and unbelief will be inextricably tied to the expectations you bring to the table. Or you could say it this way, your expectations will dictate your experience. Now, this is true of many things, isn't it? It's some of the reasons you guys are disappointed in your marriages right now. Maybe you're expecting your spouse to do something they never were created to do. This is some of the reasons why some of you are disappointed in your jobs right now. Because you're expecting a job to fill up your soul. When did it, when did it say it was going to do that? <laughs> some of you are disappointed in your church right now because you had expectations, maybe spoken, maybe not. Guys, your expectations will dictate your experience of any given thing. 
any given thing. Tim Keller uh, has this phenomenal example. He He says, half the pain you experience isn't from suffering, it's from false expectations. So here's a picture. It's a funny little picture from Tim Keller. He says, let's say you're going to go in this other room. There's another room over here. There's a door. You're going to sleep in there, okay? In there. On the other side of that door is a prison cell. And then you walk in. You walk through the door. So you're like, okay, I'm about to walk into a prison cell. And you walk in. It's a big room. It's a bed, a little simple couch, TV, private bathroom. You're like, this is like a little Airbnb. I mean, it's not the best Airbnb, but it's fine. It'll do. And all of a sudden you're like, this isn't so bad. Man, not bad. But if we said there's a luxury million-dollar room on the other side of that door, it's going to be an awesome luxury marble floor, okay? And you walk in, and because you're expecting that, you see the bed, and you're like, what the? This is a little simple couch, small tea. You know, what's happening there? Same room, different expectations. Your experience now has been completely changed because of what you're expecting when you walk in. Guys, our expectations in life are sometimes wildly inaccurate and misplaced. We do it with marriage, do it with churches, do it all sorts of things. Your expectations will dictate your experience. So uh, let's pick up with the disciples and we're just gonna let the Bible be our outline today. You guys cool with that? Okay, cool, sweet. All right, Luke 24, if you have your Bible, Luke 24, starting in 13, we're gonna read a bit, pause, read a bit, pause. You guys cool? <clears throat> that very day, Uh, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And when they were uh, talking with each other about all these things that had happened, sorry, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what's this conversation you're talking about as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened in these days? And I love this. Jesus says, what things? I love this about Jesus. This is brilliant. He's, he's kind of playing dumb. Like Jesus knows what he's just done. He knows what's going on. What, what is he doing right here? What is Jesus up to? Why does he say this? Uh, in my opinion, this is deep, deep wisdom and good leadership right here. He says, Tell me about it. What, what do you think just happened? In your opinion, this is brilliant leadership. He knows the whole picture. And yet God Almighty draws near to them in their confusion, and sometimes in ways we can't see. And he says, tell me what grieves you. Paint the picture that you're living in right now. Verbalize it. Tell me about it. Tell me about your pains, your sorrows, as narrow and short-sighted as they were, and as ours are, God invites you to vulnerability with him. He says, paint me the picture. Tell me about your disappointments in life. Tell me, tell me, bring it in. What things? Pour out your heart to me. It's what Jesus is doing to them right now, despite their short-sighted narrowness. In other words, he's saying something like this. Look at me right here. Look at me. He's saying something like this. I do have time for you. I do love you. Tell me about it. What are the things that are crushing your spirit right now? Reveal them to me. The son of God, man. So they say, well, it's concerning Jesus, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But here's the line right here. We had hoped he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. 
And yes, besides all this, it's now the third day since these things and our women are amazing us, saying that he had come back from the dead. That word amazed is actually more aggressive. In one, in one place, that same word is translated, we're outside of ourselves, we're beside ourselves. We're, we're out of our senses, flabbergasted. Why were they so disappointed? Well, they told us, they said, we had hoped, fascinating. We had hoped he was gonna be the one to redeem Israel. Now, if you're a Christian, you're thinking, he just did, right? And it becomes immediately obvious the disciples had drastically different expectations for where the story was going. When we say redeem Israel, I'm sorry, when they say redeem Israel, they are not thinking of redemption as Christians often think of it now. See, today, when, you, when I say redemption, um, we almost think of an entirely spiritual interaction and therefore maybe entirely irrelevant interaction, having to only do with the unseen and maybe the afterlife. What did it mean to them? When they said, we had hoped he was the one, in some ways, uh, they had massively underestimated what Jesus was doing. For them, the story was not going to the cross and to the grave. They thought they were going to the crown. That's what they wanted. What do I mean by that? Let me show you a few things that paints the picture of what the disciples were actually expecting Jesus to do. And this is not like controversial, okay? This is just like in the Bible, all right? Um, so I'm gonna show you three things. Uh, number one, the triumphant entry, the triumphal entry in John 12. Number two, the sons, of Deb Zeb the sons of Zebedee's request in Matthew 20. And then Jesus before Pilate. All of these instances point to expectations that are vastly different than we think were at the table. Okay, you guys cool with this? Okay, here we go. What's going on when Jesus enters Jerusalem in the triumphal entry before his death? You guys remember this? The palm trees, there it is. Yeah, the donkey, okay? We gotta remember the context. Um, who had, um, who was occupying Jerusalem under a military occupation? Who? Rome. Rome, good job. Wow, that's phenomenal. They had taken the city. Okay, so another country comes to America and they take over and their soldiers are now walking the streets. They are in charge. That's the scenario. That's the context. They were foreign uh, military had occupied their domain, right? And the New Testament is full of concerns that they're going to be too loud and the Romans are going to step in and do something. All, all through the New Testament, you're going to see this over, see it in Acts, see it in the Gospels. They're all like, shh, 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 shh. The Romans are watching right? They're afraid. Romans, they didn't put up with, um, you know, uprisings, right? Jesus is a perfect example. Um, so they're putting down palm branches before Jesus as he comes in uh, to the city, which is interesting. You know, the only other time, well, the only other historical instance of people putting down palm branches that's recent to Jesus is about a hundred years before that. Anyone ever heard of Judah Maccabee? Judah Maccabee um, was a, uh, a guerrilla warfare leader who kicked out the Greeks from Jerusalem about 100 years earlier. And when he came into the city, he had just defeated the military-occupied force, okay? He kicked them out, and when he comes into the city, they put down palm branches so that he can come in. Palm branches were the symbol of military victory. They're welcoming a victor into... Now, the thing about Judah is he was riding a white stallion, and here comes Jesus with this mopey little donkey. So that's fascinating. Already the expectations aren't matching up, but it's clear the palm branches are to, the people are making their expectations known to Jesus. And it is not, save me from my sin, Lord. Not what they're interested in. What they're interested in is save us from the stinking Romans. Kick them out. You're the Messiah. That's what you're supposed to do. Now come and liberate this from these Gentile pigs and kick them out. 
That's what they wanted. It's clear, y'all. They're saying, save us from Rome. Judah, his nickname was the hammer. And they're saying, Jesus, come on, dude, step it up. We got some swords. Let's do this, okay? It's very clear. They wanted freedom from Rome, not, not from the oppression of their sins. Okay, so that's one example. Maybe you're like, ah, I don't know, Chris. I don't know, maybe that's not right. Okay, John 20, another example. Um, the mom of the sons of Zebedee's come to Jesus. This is a great, good Jewish mom move right here, okay? And she says, hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, let my boys sit at your right and your left. Do you remember this? And Jesus says, lady, well, he doesn't say that. He says, you don't know what you're asking. They can't drink from the cup. And they say, we'll drink. And, he's, and he says, well, actually, yeah, actually you will drink. But that's not the cup they're thinking of. Jesus looks forward into the future and he says, you will drink of the cup of suffering. But you have no clue what you're asking me right now. They had no clue the suffering that was going to come into their lives or the suffering that Jesus was going to endure, right? And he says, well, you, you will drink of that, but only my father decides who's exalted. What the mom was asking was, Jesus, when you kick out the Romans and you establish your eternal kingdom, like all the prophets had said you were going to do, you're going to, the king of, you know, reign forever, right? Justice. When you do that, let my boy sit next to you. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Okay. Number three, Jesus before Pilate. The primary thing that Pilate wanted to know from Jesus was what? Are you a king? Are you a king? Why is that relevant? Well, he's saying, are you starting a rebellion or not? Do we need to deal with this or not? Because they seem to think that you're starting a rebellion and you want to kick the Romans out. Are you a king? And what's Jesus' answer? Yes, but not of this world. My kingdom, Jesus says, look, dude, I am a king, but, but not the kind of king you're thinking about. And if I were, my boys would be fighting for me right now, wouldn't they? So Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom, but it's not the kind of kingdom everyone's really expecting or really even wants. Remember when Peter chops off someone's ear? When Jesus is arrested, Jesus is like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. It's not how we roll. That's not how my kingdom's established, right? Put it away. So when the disciples say we had hoped, they are saying we thought he was going to lead a revolution against Rome and free us from our political oppressors, not our spiritual oppression. Please, we're fine. <laughs> kick, kick the Romans out, right? Their expectations were completely concerning their felt need. Hello, felt need, not their biggest need. They said, Jesus, we would like your help with ABC. And Jesus says, none of those things are the actual issue. And we do this every day with our relationships, with all sorts of things. We say, Jesus, I'll follow you if you just sort out my spouse, right? Like, Jesus, I will, I'll get on board, just like make my boss better, you know? Like, I'll get, I'll, I'll, we bargain with God all the time. We have a felt need, and when he comes to us, he often bypasses it. And we say, who do you think you are? I thought you were God. I thought you had power. Now fix this. And he says, I am fixing something. Now shush. <laughs> Seriously. He says, my goal is so much bigger for you. You have this felt need that you think is the most oppressive thing in your world. And I'm here to free you from true oppression, spiritual oppression, oppression you don't even know you're living in sometimes, in the shadow of the valley of death. I'm here to free you from something way bigger than the thing you think the problem is. The problem's not your spouse, bro. The problem is not those around you. There's a deeper issue in your life that God is interested in dealing with. And when we come to him with our expectations of make my life easy, and then it doesn't happen, what happens? We lift up our fists to God and we say, you said you were going to do this. And he says, show me where I said I was going to do that. 
What are the expectations you're bringing to the table of what it means to follow Jesus? Some of them are wildly inaccurate. And if we look at the plights of the disciples through the New Testament, through the book of Acts, how many of us have ever just read the book of Acts and said, that's what I signed up for? No, we read the book of Acts and we say, that's weird, right? That's a weird history story. Dude, that's what you've signed up for. I would challenge you to go read the book of Acts and ask yourself if you really want to be a part of this thing called the Jesus movement. If you really want to be the disciple of the guy who the, guy, who the authorities and rulers crucified, and if we think we can get down the Christian life without experiencing any degree of suffering because we follow Jesus, we are horribly naive. Amen. And we've wildly underestimated the depth of sin that our world lives in. Because when light comes to darkness, we tend to think that those in darkness will say, oh, the light, beautiful. No, they don't. They squash out the light because the light reveals things that they were doing that they don't want revealed. And if we're to be people who are the light of Jesus, the body of Christ, guys, the analogy is clear to us. We're supposed to follow Jesus. We're supposed to walk the way he walked, live the kind of life he lived. Like cry for the people that he cried for, mourn for the broken, heal the sick. These are the things we're being called into as Christians. And when we walk in that life, we are naive to think we won't be persecuted. That people won't come to us and say, quit. It's exactly what they did to Jesus. Guys, the book of Acts is modeled after the ministry of Jesus. Read it again. It's, it's modeled. When you start reading it, the same things start happening to the disciples that happened to Jesus. Okay, I'm going to get back on my notes. Now, we tend to say, don't do that. Don't encourage me, all right? You don't, you don't want that, all right? <laughs> we tend to say, Jesus, I signed up for this out of my own needs and wants but apparently he had a way bigger plan than even they could see. Jesus' plan, his plan included their lives, the disciples' lives, being broken open for the darkness in the world, right? Not, not just for their sins, but for the sins of others. Jesus is intending in this moment to save the entire world and all they wanted was personal salvation. Just hold on, go back to that sentence. Jesus wanted to save the entire world, and all they wanted was personal salvation. They said, I will take the good stuff for myself, thanks, who cares about the rest? And this is many of our Christian lives today, right? When we narrow our expectations in on only God meeting our needs, your preferences in church, your preferences in small group, you will be deeply disappointed. Because look at me, I love you. You don't, you're like, well, you're not acting like it. I do. I do. I love you. Um, this is not about you. Amen. And this is not about me. God is doing something way larger than us in this room right now. And you are invited into it. But if we come to it demanding God prioritize our felt needs over others, you will be deeply disappointed with Christians and the church. If you think being a Christian is all about your experience I just want to tell you, I don't think you're going to last. I don't think you're going to last as a Christian if you think it's all about your experience. You will become bored and entitled. And you have to admit, you've let the narcissistic consumerism of our day frame your idea of God. I don't know if you saw Jesus' Revolution. Anyone? You want to see that book? I mean, that book, movie, whatever. Okay, cool. Um, <clears throat> so it's true, true story. You had all these barefoot hippies coming into a somewhat conservative church with suits and ties, and these hippies are addicted, right? 
they're just pouring into the churches and it upset everything. The church totally changed and some people left. <laughs> so true, it happened. They said, these dirty hippies are gonna mess up my church. Uh, it's real, it's a real thing. John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, um, was saved in the Jesus People movement. Um, and he brought all his chain-smoking, drug-addicted musician friends to the small Mennonite church to meet Jesus. And the church exploded in growth, right? He said, this precious, precious old lady who had been in that church her entire life, her entire life in this church, one day after the service, she was waiting for John at the end of the aisle. And she was trembling in anger. And she was weeping. And she had her fist clenched. And she said, you've ruined my church. In that moment, John could have got self-righteous and defensive, but he said his heart just broke for this little lady because she was right. And he had the church that she knew was dead. God was doing something new. And, and that newness of what God was doing for her was coupled with a deep sense of loss and disappointment, right? And John said he just walked over to her and he said, you're right. And he said they just wept together. But he said, but, but you got to understand, he said, I couldn't just leave all my friends out there in the dark. See, we think when we see the move of God, everyone will get on board and clap their hands and rejoice. It's not true. When God starts moving, people get offended. When God starts saving the people that we don't think deserve being saved, we're like, what's happening? I don't want to go to church with those type people. I don't want to go to a small group with those type people. They change small group. The new, everyone's different. Now, dude, come on. What are we getting after here, folks? Like, what are we about? Are we about our preferences or are we about getting on board with what God's doing in the earth? And if we are, we have to set some expectations to the side. Sometimes it's our expectations that God's going to meet our felt needs. John just said, man, I couldn't leave him out in the dark. I had to call him in. I love you so much. I'm glad you're here. I love that you like what we're doing, but we are not the point. Amen. We're not the point, y'all. God's on mission to seek and save the lost. And if the church is fighting about the color of the carpet, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss the move of God in our generation. When we're whining about the wrong kind of songs, we don't say, I don't like those songs, right? Come on, man. I don't have my kind of, you know, come on, right? I'm, do I need to harp on this anymore, right? Sometimes, y'all, getting on board with God in the earth means dismissing some of our expectations, it means pushing to the side and asking God, what are you doing in the earth? God, who do you want to save and heal? Where do you want to act? In the disciples' case, Jesus was opening the doors of the kingdom, not just to the Jews, but to everyone, all humanity, the Gentiles, right? And this was just not on their mental grid, okay? Like the Messiah came to rescue the Jews, all right? That's who this Messiah is. It wasn't even, that's what, dude, the whole book of Acts is the church wrestling with, can the Gentiles be Jews? I'm telling you, they weren't, they weren't talking about Christians at that point. Everyone was just Jews. They were Jews. Jesus was a Jewish Messiah, right? Christianity wasn't even on the grid at that point. Everyone was getting uh, brought into the Jewish Messiah. And the whole question was, can the Gentiles get in? And if so, on what terms? Do they have to obey the law? Guys, almost the entire New Testament is that, is that battle. Can Gentiles get in? Can the outsiders get in? And if so, how? I mean, so Jesus, in Jesus, the Abrahamic blessing the, of, of all the nations being blessed is coming true. 
And that it was coming to right in the midst of the disciples, and the disciples are disappointed. Okay. So Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. To me, it's just like, okay, he just, you're talking to me. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. No big deal here. Jesus just claimed the entire Old Testament's about him. Later on, when he talk, meets, uh, shows himself to the whole crew, he says, thus it is written, and he's talking about the Old Testament, that the Christ should suffer. Really, that's written in the Old Testament? Mm-hmm, according to Jesus. And on the third day rise from the dead, that's in the Old Testament? Yes. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Jesus thinks the entire Old Testament's about him. That's how he read it. That's what it's about. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And I love this again. Jesus acted as if he were going farther. This is great. He's still playing with them. Okay, now let's, we'll, we'll miss things like this, but he's, he, he basically is acting like he's keeping walk, keeping, keeping going to walk, right? And they say, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Um, <clears throat> I love this. I, I had a mentor that reminds me of Jesus in this moment. At my, Rick Sorrell, man, I, I, when I delivered office furniture in college, uh, college age, uh, he was my boss. I was delivering, and he was my boss. And he would play dumb all the time. Uh, he, he's one of the most patient men I've ever met, uh, like remarkably patient. And he would play them all the time. I, I, would, I would be trying to move this like massive 300, piece of fur, you know, 300 pound piece of furniture in this big box. And I'm doing it the worst, dumbest way. And Rick's just like sitting back watching me. And I'm, I'm breathing and I finally get it and I get it. And, I'm, and then I'm like heaving over on the side and he, just, he would just watch me. And then he would mosey over, wouldn't say a thing. He'd mosey over and then he'd say, you got it. And then he'd be like, you know, you could have like done doop, boop, boop. And I was like, Rick, why didn't you tell me that, man? You let me do it the hard way. Every day. He would do it all the time. He would let me break furniture. And for like, for like this like high, like pressure young kid that wants to perform and impress everyone, I was just so, oh, I broke it. And he, he would not, he would let me. I'm like, Rick, you could have told me something. What, what's that? What is that? Well, that's someone in leadership realizing they have a very stubborn, arrogant person they're trying to lead. And, and instead of squashing them and saying, you're doing it wrong, idiot, do it this way. Instead of browbeating them into submission, a good, a good this, this is amazing, just lets them lead. Jesus lets them lead. What is he doing in this moment? Jesus is putting, he's letting them decide, do you want me to keep walking with you or not? I think Jesus is asking some of that right now. He, he's going to do his thing and he's going he's to give some space between you and him. And he's going he's gonna to wait and see if you notice that he's gone. And will you in that moment say, hey, Jesus, wait, wait, wait. Come, come back. I, I actually want you in my life. I love it, man. Do you want me around? He doesn't force. Jesus doesn't manipulate like insecure leaders. But if you want his leadership, he'll, he'll take it. So they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's towards evening. And, and then when he's at the table, he breaks the bread. Now that's like copy and paste um, from the Last Supper. You guys know the Last Supper, Matthew 26? Copy and paste, took the bread, broke it, gave thanks. And, and in that moment, I love this. In this moment, I just think Jesus gives a big smile and then vanishes. It's gone, right? I love it, I love it. I, I just imagine that. And they're like, what the, did we, did we, did we, did we, did we, right? Uh, and, it, and they get up. 
and they truck it back to Jerusalem, the seven miles or whatever it was. So let me just end by pointing out how they described how they felt when Jesus was explaining the scriptures to them. Um, for the first time, they're comprehending the depth of scripture, okay? For the first time, they're comprehending the meaning and depth and relevance of scripture. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I don't know if you've ever had the Bible open and all of a sudden something is happening in your heart where something's coming to life for the first time. This is happening in them right now. And how did they describe it? Our hearts burned inside of us. Dude, what's the secret of the burning heart? Like what causes scripture and prayer and music to be more than just scripture and prayer and music. Like how do these things transform us? How do they become relevant? How do they bring light and heat to our life? Burns, burns, fire, light, heat, energy, right? All these things. In this instance, y'all, what was it that brought life to the scripture? It was the presence of Jesus. For some of you, the scripture is dead because you don't want the authority of Jesus in your life. You don't want the presence of Jesus in your life. You read the scriptures and you think, this is lame. I don't get any of this. I just wonder how much of it is your unwillingness to obey what you are actually reading. I wonder how much of the lack of truth in your life isn't because it's not at your disposal. It's because you're not willing to submit to it when you get it. It was the presence of Jesus that brought the thing to life. And here, y'all, this is fascinating. They didn't even know he was with them. They didn't even know it was Jesus. It was just this guy. Isn't that fascinating? Sometimes when we're walking along the road downcast, downtrodden, Jesus is right beside us and we don't even know it. And then what was the thing that clued it into them? It was this, uh, the, the communion, but their hearts, they said they were burning within us. I, I, just, I, I pray that your participation in this room does that in your hearts. Dude, I pray it so much, man. Like, I just abhor the idea that we're all just going through the motions. Like, honestly, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Like, if we just want to do that. But, dude, I pray all the time that when we come in and we sing these songs that we sing, and we open the word, that something is happening inside your soul that maybe you could only describe as your heart burning. And here's the deal. Some of us, the fire's gone out. Some of us, the, the idea, the picture of a burning heart is the farthest thing away from your experience right now as a Christian. And if that's you, I think today God wants to meet you. I think if your heart, if you would say, there's, here, let's just two pictures right here. Okay, picture burning heart. Right, like I see one of those like butane torches, you know? Right. I don't want like a half sword of fire. I want like, oh, raging fire. Okay, burning heart picture. You guys got it? You guys see the picture? All right, now I want you to envision ashes, a heap ash. I want you to envision a campfire that's been out for days. You know, someone put it out, you know, the rain happened and it's been out for days. All right, which one is your heart? Which one is your heart? Hey, stay with me, stay with me. Which one's your heart? Is it a pile of ashes? Which one would describe your heart more realistically right now? And if you're in the position of, dude, dude my heart's a pile of ashes, man. Like, you don't know what's going on in my life. There's no fire for God. I have no hunger for God. Scripture seems dead to me. Worship is the most boring thing I've ever thought about, man. And if you want to change that, I believe God can meet you right now where you're sitting. I believe he can. Let's pray. Let's do it. Come on. Father, would you save us 
from superficial engagements with Scripture. God, would you save us from that, that Christian life where the Bible is dead and dormant? God, would you save us from being a Christian, walking this life with dead, dormant hearts? So right now, if you're, if you're just like, dude, my heart is in ashes, nothing's alive, the color, like we've said over and over in this series, the color of life is just drained off the pages, man. There's no joy. There's no vibrancy. So what I want you to do is real simple. Nothing magical about this. I want you to open your hands in your lap. That's all I want you to do, man. And I want you to do that as an act to say, God, could you start the fire again? Holy Spirit, would you come? God, where our hearts have stopped burning for you, God, would you come? Right now, Lord, would you pour out your fire on us? I just, when we were praying before the service today, I had this picture of, you know, it's kind of raining outside. And um, we, we come under a roof for shelter from the rain because it feels safe, you know? Oh, we're safe inside, safe from the rain, safe from getting wet. Um, and I just had this sense that God is calling some of us out from underneath the safety that we think into risk out into the reign of his grace and his love. I think for some of us, it's going to look like taking risks. It's going to be stepping out from what feels safe and secure. And the thing about the rain, man, is like, no, we can have the sunshine all day long. It's the rain that's going to make that stuff grow. And, and we interpret rain in our life as, uh, you know, it's stormy, it's bad. And I just feel like God is saying to some of us right now, you're in the storm so you can step out and take risks and get underneath the love of God that's going to cause your heart to actually grow. So Father, would you um, just cause the rain of your Holy Spirit to pour over our hearts right now? And what we think is the thing that's going to kill us might be the thing that's going to start our hearts on fire. So come, Holy Spirit. We love you, God. In your name we pray these things. The last and obvious question I think that everyone needs to ask themselves today is what are you expecting out of the deal? <clears throat> what are you expecting out of your Christian walk? Okay, I'm going to be a Christian. I want to obey. I want to worship and tithe and love the down. I want to do the Christian thing. Okay, what do you expect to get? Maybe your expectation is, well, I want to be a part of a cool, hip, dynamic church. Cool, good luck. Maybe your expectation is like, okay, life's going to go smooth now. Maybe you think it's going to get easier. Can I just say to you, if you expect anything else than getting God, you've missed it. You've missed it. And some of you are missing it right now. You know, it's not you get to go to church. That's not, that's not it. It's not you get to go to a good church service. You know, that's, not, that's all the stuff on the side. God doesn't want to add things to the side. He wants your heart to burn, man. He wants to set your heart on fire. That's what he wants after you. And I think a lot of times we, we confuse it. We think, I'll just take some trimming on the side. I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And he has such a bigger plan for us, man. You get God himself. You get a loving relationship with the creator of the universe. And if that's not enough for you, then maybe, I don't know, man. I don't know what to say. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us, man. Father, I pray right now over every heart that's gone out. Every, every fire that has just fizzled and it's a heap of ash. Holy Spirit, would you breathe life again? I pray that you would breathe life into marriages that have fizzled out in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would breathe life into Scripture in the name of Jesus as we open the Word. I pray that you would breathe life as we listen to Christian worship music, Lord. 
Would you cause it to spark our hearts on fire again in the name of Jesus? Come Holy Spirit, use us for your purposes, God. Jesus, again, over every heart um, that has just, it's gone dormant. Well, this Old Testament talks about you take our hearts of stone and you turn it into flesh again. Would you do it, God? Would you use today, Lord, would you use the suffering in our life? Would you use the disappointment in our life to start a fire? In the name of Jesus, amen.